Hey, this is Jim Palmer, your dream business coach and author of Decide, the Ultimate Success Trigger, and you are listening to On Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. And the Bible does say, take the chains from around your neck and move on. And I was able to do that. I could not do that if I didn't have people that I invested time with each week that knew me intimately. Thank you, Mr. Jim Palmer, for that introduction. Jim is a very successful author and speaker. Uh, Jim has actually been with us twice, once on episode 18, where we dug really deep into his faith, and again on episode 41 to discuss his new book, Decide, The Ultimate Success Trigger. You can hear my conversations with Jim at onfaithsedge.com slash 18 and onfaithsedge.com slash 41. That's 18 and 41. Well, hello. Welcome to this 57th episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. On today's show, wow. On today's show, we speak with business coach and entrepreneur Aaron Walker. Aaron is a special kind of guy with an amazing story. We we talk about his early start in entrepreneurship uh, at the age of 15, or excuse me, age of 13. That's the second time I made that mistake. In fact, you'll hear that he'll hear him correct me in the the conversation. Uh, We talk about how a tragic accident took him from a life of self-centeredness to one of significance and, and really the difference between success and significance, how bitterness almost led him to the worst decision of his life and how generosity is a choice. This is really a special conversation that stands out for me personally is one of my most impactful. I am so excited to share this with you. On last episode, we heard from tax coach Diane Gardner with some timely advice on tax planning and she gave us some actionable tips on saving taxes and business advice for entrepreneurs. You can hear my conversation with Diane at onfaithsedge.com slash 56. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 56. Aaron Walker is without question a veteran entrepreneur. Starting his first business at 18 and selling to a Fortune 500 company nine short years later demonstrates Aaron's passion for success. Unwilling to rest on past success alone, Aaron started, bought, and sold eight successful companies over the past 36 years. Having a strong desire for personal development has kept Aaron in a weekly mastermind group for more than a decade with, listen to this, Dave Ramsey, Dan Miller, Ken Abraham, and about seven other notable men. Aaron has enjoyed a 35-year marriage with his beautiful wife, Robin. Today, Aaron spends the majority of his time helping men grow in success and significance as president and founder of View from the Top, a premier life and business coaching resource. Hello, Aaron. Welcome to the show. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Brother, it is my absolute honor. Let's get right into this. You have a long track record of success. I have a lot of track records of failures too, but hopefully, Joe, we're not going to talk about those today. Those are painful, so maybe we won't talk about the the things that didn't go right. (laughs) I don't think we can talk about the successes without talking about the failures, though. Uh You know what I mean? Okay. Well, all right. Go ahead. You, uh, like I said, you have a long track record of success beginning at age 15, I think. Um, Take us back to that time when you, you made a decision about school and how you wanted to go forward with school and how you started in business. 
Well, it was 13, but who's keeping track? So I'll take you back. <laughs> okay. You cheated me out of two years, Joe, right there, right out of the gate. Well, listen, man, I, I'll make this real short because I don't want to make this episode about me. I want to make it about others and how they can live a life of success and significance. And so, but I will give you a little context. I'll give you just a little bit about my background. I started at 13 years old working in a pawn shop. My dad remodeled it for a guy. I fell in love with that at 15. Uh, I decided I wanted to make this a career. So I went to summer school and night school for about a year and a half, had enough credits in the uh, beginning of my junior year in high school to graduate. So I didn't have to go my junior and senior year. So I started working every day, you know, cause I like to make money. I like to move forward. And so I started working every day. I met a couple of guys that were in the insurance business here in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm a native. And I approached them one day and said, listen, I know you guys have got a lot of money. I don't have any money. I mean, like zero, but I've got some experience. And they started laughing. They said, how much experience could you have at 18? I said, five years. I've been here since I was 13. I've loved this business, and I think we could make a go of it. So, Joe, over the next 90 days, we talked through it. And uh, Lord and behold, they uh, agreed to go in partnerships with me. So we went to the bank, signed a note for $150,000. Joe, I don't know about you, but in the 70s, $150,000 was a lot of money. (laughs) I think about it today, it's still a lot of money. Amen. So we go to the bank, we borrow the money because they want my name on the line. They said, we've got the money, but we want you to be responsible. And I thought, well, I ain't got anything to lose. Why would I not do that? So I signed the note. And then the Lord just so blessed our business, man. I can't even tell you how he blessed our business right out of the gate. But we worked hard. It didn't come easy. I mean, we worked around the clock. I got married two weeks out of high school. My wife graduated a year after I did. We got married. We quickly had two children over the next three or four years, and we just continued to work hard. And we grew that business from the time I was 18 to I was 26. Uh, We had four stores. Uh, They had done extremely well. We did the Dave Ramsey thing, you know, live today like no one else. So tomorrow you can live like no one else. Yep. And that was before I heard of Dave Ramsey. We decided <laughs> to do that. And so when I was 27, a fortune 500 company came to Nashville. Uh, they tried to buy me and I turned them down three times. And the third time they came back, they said, if you were going to sell, how much would you take? And I hypothetically gave them a number and they said, we'll take it. And I started <laughs> laughing. I said, no, I was just teasing. They said, no, you can't be teasing because You've made a price and we've accepted it. They said, we're growing through acquisitions. It's a lot easier for a Fortune 500 company to grow through acquisitions than it is a startup. So they were, to my fortune, they were willing to pay more. So anyway, 27, I'm done. I take a break and then uh, I go into another business. Uh, For 10 years, we built it to a very successful company. I sold out again, took a five-year break, and we can get into that in a few minutes. And then I started a construction company, and we grew that very successful for eight years. And then when I turned 50, I retired. And my friend Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller that I've been in a mastermind group with now for over a decade said, you can't just sit on the front porch and rock yourself to sleep. You got to do something. So I started coaching, and I have absolutely had the time of my life, Joe. It's been phenomenal. And now I lead mastermind groups, and I coach guys all over the world how to live a successful and significant life. Wow. That made me tired telling that story. I got to like take a nap now or something. I mean, I got gave you 37 years in three minutes. (laughs) You said that you took a break for a while. Yeah. What was the reason for that break? Yeah, I got to go back because this is kind of painful. We said we weren't going to bring up this painful stuff, but we're going to have to, it looks like. 
So one morning I'm at church and uh, I meet with a bunch of guys at our church, our pastor and four or five other guys. And we pray for our church and our families. And we did that every Wednesday morning for years. So it was August 1st, 2001. I'm headed to the office. I'm 40 years old at this time. I'm 55 now to kind of give you a little bit of uh, time frame where we're at. And so I'm headed down Gallatin Road. It's a very busy road uh, going into the office out of Hendersonville. And I look to my left, and there's this guy crossing the street. He's kind of jogging at kind of a slow pace. And all this happened in like nanoseconds. And so he gets to the median, and I slow down, and uh, there's a bus on the right-hand side of the road. And it stopped. It wasn't in a bus stop. It was just stopped like on the side of the road. And so uh, he's waiting on me to pass so he can catch the bus. And so I get right to him. And as soon as I do, Joe, this guy takes off running as hard as he can go oh. to the bus. And uh, I hit him. Oh. And uh, I'm. it's so surreal. I mean, it's like slow motion. This is like, no, God, this can't be. I mean, you know, this is going through my mind. It's, it's like, I don't know if you've ever had an experience that kind of happened out of the body experience, almost like you're watching it. And it was so frightening. And uh, I pulled over to the side of the road, and I turned around and looked, and there's this guy laying face down in the middle of Gallatin Road. Cars are stopping everywhere. And I'm like, that really didn't just happen. I mean, it was like, that couldn't be. So I get out of the car, and I grab my cell phone, and I'm shaking so hard I can't even dial the number. I mean, I'm trying to dial 911, and I can't even, I can't even hold my hand still enough, so I hold my hand against the phone and I take my finger and I dial 911 and I'm saying, please God, let this guy to be okay. And I, I go back and I, you know, people are all getting around him and all of a sudden these police cars start coming and fire trucks and ambulances and the whole road shut down and I'm just shaking. I don't even know what to do. So I'm praying for this guy and he's a senior guy. He's an older guy. Unfortunately, Joe, uh, he didn't make it. He died three days later in the Vanderbilt trauma unit here in Nashville. Oh, my gosh. And it absolutely destroyed me. I mean, you know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't even know what to do. So my attorney told me, don't contact the family. Well, it's the first thing I did. I uh -huh. said, are you kidding me? So I called the family and talked to his daughter and paid my condolences. And she said, you know, we know... Uh, it was his fault. Everyone has said, the eyewitnesses saw it, said there was nothing you could do, and so don't worry. I said, well, it wasn't why I was calling. I was just calling to pay my condolences. So we get through that, and then uh, my wife and I sit down, and we talk a couple weeks later about our future. And I started thinking, I've been chasing business. I've been working hard since I was 13 and now I'm 40 and it's all about the business. It's all about making money. It's all about another store. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to take away from the fact of us doing good because I love to do good now. I want to continue to do good. But what I started thinking through in the process was what if that had been me? Like what, what if I'd been crossing the street in downtown Nashville and got hit what would my legacy be? And I started reflecting and doing kind of a personal assessment, thinking about my life. And I said, people would say well, he was successful. You know, he had a nice house and he took nice vacations and they had a, you know, vacation home and all that stuff. But what difference did he make in other people's lives? 
And Dave Ramsey and our friends, like I told you earlier, and he took Robin and I to Amelia Island with he and Sharon, and we went on vacation. We heard a speaker down there named Bob Buford wrote a book called Halftime. And that book kind of came back up in my mind. I thought, well, I've been successful, but I've had no significance. I really hadn't done anything to reach out to other people. So I came back and uh, started thinking about that. And uh, I told Robin, I said, I want to sell out. I don't want to keep the business. And so we sold the business and we took a five-year break and we traveled. We built another house. We kind of took a change of scenery. Joe, you don't get over that. God Mm -hmm. gives you the grace to deal with it. Uh And so he did. He gave me the grace to deal with that, and I worked through it. If I had been doing something that caused it, I don't know that I would have gotten over it. But I didn't cause it. It was an accident. But it did heighten my awareness of being significant. And so I started thinking through that. So Robin came to me one day five years later. (laughs) She has already done twice before. She goes, okay, big boy, you're getting fat and lazy again. It's time to do something. So I went in the (laughs) construction business, started another company. But my focus was different. Uh, my paradigm was way different than it was before. And it was about helping other people. It was about helping them accomplish their goals and their dreams. Although I still wanted to be content where I was at, I didn't want to be complacent and I wanted to do good, but I wanted a big part of my time focusing outward. And so Joe, what I really learned through that process was you can be successful, but you can also allow a lot of time to be significant in the other lives of people. And so I just changed that. And the way we do view from the top now is that about a third of our time is spent reaching out, trying to help people, endorse people, take them to the next level, encouraging them, edifying them, empowering them. Uh, It's my whole mindset is different now than it was uh, in 2001. This tragedy led to this change in my mindset. Absolutely. What would you say the biggest difference between pre-accident minds between Aaron's pre-accident mindset and post-accident mindset? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's easy. It was all about myself, uh, pre-accident. Everything I thought about was another store, another business, another hundred thousand dollars, a vacation home, a bigger car, a nicer house, all the things that impacted my personal family, but had no relevance on others. And there again, I don't want to take away, Joe, I hate it when people with money say money doesn't matter. I want to go, you liar. It does matter. Let's <laughs> take that money away from you and see how important it is. It is very, very important. Right. Just don't make it the central focus. Don't make it your primary aim. And when you make other people around you the primary aim, the focus, the natural reciprocity will come. More people want to do business with you and you'll be more successful as a direct result of it. It's just a mind shift. And for me, it was about, hey, let's look outward more than inward. You've had to have some situations where bitterness took a hold of you. Uh, I know you do tell a you do tell a story about a business deal that uh, almost led you to a tragic decision. Yeah, and I'm embarrassed to even repeat that. And I'll try to give you an overview of what happened real quick. I love to deal in real estate. It's just been a passion of mine. It's been about 50% of my income since I was 18 years old. I love buying property and uh, flipping houses and doing long-term rentals. And I love commercial property. I just love doing property. So there was an investment that I made that was a pretty good investment. It started out that way. It didn't end that way. And there was a local Nashvilleian that people would recognize his name if I were to call it, very shrewd businessman. And he wanted to buy the deal from me, and he did. 
And we were sitting at the closing table table in downtown Nashville, and there was a clause in the contract that I had overlooked. And it was just due to my negligence. I just overlooked it. And he pointed it out at closing. And he said, because of this, I don't have to pay you this much money. And I said, well, you know my intentions. He said, it doesn't matter if your intentions. It's what's in this contract. And I'm not paying you that much money. And it was really awkward Mm. because there were a couple attorneys and a banker in the room and a closing attorney and me and this gentleman. We'll call him Billy for this conversation. And uh, I sat there and I thought, well, what do I do? do? Do I not do the deal? Do I go ahead and do the deal and get it behind me? And here was uh, kind of the the point that really um, was detrimental to me as a, as a man. I guess the alpha male showed up, you know, and he pointed his finger and started laughing. And he said, I got you. No kidding. Yeah. And he laughed and leaned back in his chair. These chairs in his conference table rocked and he's rocking and he's laughing. And so everybody looks at me like, well, what are you going to do? So I thought through it and I thought, you know, I'm just going to take my medicine. I'm going to do the deal. I'm going to go on. So I did. I signed. We did the deal. And he laughed. I mean, just laughed. And it was like embarrassing, first of all. Second of all, I could have really used the money. Right. And third of all, I became very, very bitter over a long period of time. So I'm at church now and I'm over the deacon body and I'm trying to lead those guys and I'm teaching a Sunday school class, and this is resonating in my mind. I mean, I can't get over it. It's like I hated this guy, and, and I did. I, I hate to admit that, but I did because of a number of reasons. First of all, he cheated me out of the money. Then he humiliated me in front mm-hmm. of these business mm-hmm. and And so a couple of years go by, and it's it's on my mind constantly. It's like I hate this guy, and I wished I could do something to get him back, you know. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm thinking, Lord, let me have vengeance just one day. I know that's not right, but I'm just being honest with sure, you the way I sure. felt. And I was like, I want to punch this guy. So two years go by, and I get invited to a hunting trip with a buddy of mine to go to Buffalo, Wyoming. We're going to hunt antelope and mule deer. So Robin takes me to the meeting place. He said, there's a bunch of guys going. And I said, I'd be awesome. It'd be fun. 10-day trip. 16 guys, you know, this is like a trip of a lifetime. So I get out of the car, kiss Robin by, hug her, get my gun, get my bag, and I'm. she pulls off and leaves. And I turn around uh, to talk to some of the other guys, and there's Billy. No way. And I'm like, are you serious? You cannot be serious. Well, he was a friend of another guy that was on the trip. You know, we live here in Nashville, so there's a lot of people that do business here and do things together, and this is a prominent businessman here in Nashville. So we look at each other, and I'm like, this is going to be a long 10 days. <laughs> this is this is going to be terrible. So I get in the car with my buddy. We're in a Bronco, and we're driving out. Thank goodness he's not in the car I'm in. He's in another Bronco. Was this the first time you, you had seen first him? First time I've seen him. Hadn't Since talked then? to him. Two years have gone by. So we're out there, and we scout around, and uh, it's uh, cold, you know, in October in Wyoming. And so we're... Uh, on Johnny Zizas property. He's got a 67,000 acre ranch out there and there's 16 of us hunting this ranch. And I climb up to the top of the hill opening morning. We'd already been there three days scouting and I know exactly where I'm going to hunt. I'm sitting there and about seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, you know, I look and this guy's walking down in the bottom and I think, dick, um, he's messing me up. What is the deal? Put my binoculars up and look and it's Billy. And I am infuriated. I'm so mad. 
he's wearing this orange vest, you know, because out there, you know, you don't want to get shot. And I'm thinking, I'm going to kill him. I, I mean, I did. I thought that. I thought, I'm going to shoot him. And then I said, what are you thinking? And then I think, you know what? I, I'll just say it was an antelope. I couldn't figure out how to tell the wow. game board that – the, that the antelope had an orange vest on. <laughs> the orange <laughs> vest probably saved the guy's life. And so I'm thinking, and I literally had my hands on my gun. Literally, I haven't raised it up, but I'm like, I'll just shoot him because I'm a good shot, Joe. And I'm like, I could have took him out. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind because I'm a great shot with a rifle. And then I think, I cannot believe I'm even thinking this. I mean, I'm a professional. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm recognized in my church as a leader. And I'm thinking about killing this guy. So anyway, I get And this control. wasn't just a passing thought. This was this was right on the edge. I'm fixing to kill this guy. My That's gosh. That's what I'm thinking. And so I said, God, please get control of my thoughts. So anyway, we hunt for the next week. We get in the car, we drive home, we get sixty miles west of Nashville, and this guy's Billy, his truck breaks down on the interstate. I'm in the car behind, and so we haven't spoke. Ten days we haven't spoke to each other. So anyway, we get out. His universal joint goes out in his uh, in his uh, uh, I forgot what kind of was K five blazer. I think is what it was. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I get out and walk up to him. I haven't spoke to him ten days. And I said, "Listen, Billy, uh, I've got a Bronco at home. If we'll get one of these other guys to take us back, uh, I'll get a strap. I'll pull you, you know, to get it worked on, and uh, you can borrow my uh, SUV until yours gets fixed." And he looks at me in dead silence. None of these other guys know what's going on because they don't know the situation. And he said, are you serious? Well, I tell the story to tell this. I had to let it go. And the only way I knew to let it go was to do something good for him because it was killing me. The bitterness inside of me was killing me. It wasn't bothering him probably, but it was destroying me. I couldn't, you know, bitterness absolutely... Uh, squelches everything that's creative about you. It, it takes uh, center stage in your mind. It, you dwell on it. You think about it. You plan to do acts like I almost did. It's, it's, it's terrible. I mean, it, it holds you hostage. And at that moment on I-40 in Nashville, Tennessee, I gave it up. I said, I, I'm, I cannot live this way any longer. So we go home. We get my SUV. And he looks at me and he said, I'm going to pay you the money back. I said, I don't want the money back. Hmm. I, I didn't do that to get the money back. Because when I said it to him, he looked like I hit him with a boat paddle. <laughs> you know, He's like, I can't believe you're doing that. Well, it ended up, he didn't give me the money back and that's okay. But I gave it up that day and I was able to move on with my life. And that's my encouragement to people listening to this. I don't know what that thing is that you've got. But you need to let it go. You need to do something to give it up to, uh, to, to move forward in your life because it will tantalize you. It will uh, destroy you internally. You can't be all that you could be. And so I would just encourage your listeners, do something. Do something for that person. Pray for that person. A, a friend of mine told me a really cool exercise that I did. And it wasn't for this, but it was for something else that I couldn't give up. It was just a thought that I had that I couldn't let go of. He said, write that down, have a fire, and burn it. Hmm. And then point to that day and say, February 23rd of this year, I gave that up. It gives you something to point back to, to where you can say, on this day, I drove a stake in the ground. 
man, that has helped me more than anything, being able to point back to a specific action where I let something go. And I know, Joe, you've been through things. We've all been through things that we just couldn't let go of. And that exercise helps more than anything when you can point back to a specific time. I can point back to it on the interstate. I'm like, I let that bitterness go that day. I forgive, I forgave that guy. I gave it up. So whatever it is, you need to drive a stake in the ground. You need to burn it. You need to let it go. And you need to move on with your life so you can be all that God intended you to be. You know, there is that moment. I can imagine that moment uh, that we all have and that, that, that I'm sure you had, Aaron, where uh, you're about to say, I'm a, you're on the, on the verge of, I'm going to give this up. I'm going to offer the, my truck to this guy. And there's that in, there's still that internal battle, that SOB that, oh my no, gosh, right. I can't, you right. know, I don't want to do this God. And, and then, and then you take that step forward and, and it's, it's lifted, it's, man. It's transforming. I mean, literally, we'll do something in you. You know, we're, we're all about being uh, justice. And, you know, here's my wife says something that's really, really good, and I hang on to this a lot. She says, you know you will have forgiven somebody when you quit demanding justice. And that's what I did that day for that guy. Is like, you know what? He didn't get what he deserved from my vantage point, but it was only holding me captive. And so I said, listen, as a result of that, I've been free. I've been able to move on, give my energy and my efforts to other things that are positive. And it has been extremely beneficial to me emotionally and mentally and financially because I'm able to move on with my life and do the things that I was created to do. You talk a lot about success and significance. And many times, Aaron, we might seemingly think that those are the same. Uh, but you make a distinction. Can Tell us the difference between success and significance. Yeah, well, for me individually, and it's, I can't impose my values on Joe. You know, I mean, there's things that you consider successful I may not, or there's things that you consider significant that I may not. And we're all different. So I had to define that. For me, I had to say, what is success anyway? I mean, what does that even mean? For me, there was a couple of things related to my schedule. I love having the ability to get up today, you know, and go, you know, I think I'll go do this or I think I'll go do that. You know, just for me, that's just one small thing to be successful for me. The other thing is, is financial freedom. I liked not having to worry about paying the electric bill. I mean, I, I don't make any apologies for that. I mean, I've done okay. I mean, I'm not super wealthy or anything like that, but I've done okay in a number of businesses. God has blessed us and I've got just a little bit of ability to be able to take care of those things where I don't have to stress over necessarily that. And I give God the glory. Uh, it's only because of him that I've been able to do that. And so I'm very thankful for that. Another thing that's really huge for me and success is having an engaging family and meaningful relationships. My family is like number one to me, period. Above all businesses, above all people, uh, my wife and my two daughters and my five grandchildren are like number one period. And so my faith first and foremost, and then my wife, my two daughters, and then my five grandchildren. And then we'll go into my career and then my other relationships. I really invest in personal relationships. I have a handful of guys that I'm really totally transparent with. I'm totally honest. I'm very vulnerable when I'm with them. I've really set myself out there for the scrutiny of them to say, you need to do more of this. You don't need to do more of that. And you can't do that with a bunch of guys because quite honestly, it's exhausting. It's very tiring to go that deep with a few people, but I have chosen to do it with a handful of men. 
And so for me, that's success. Having a clear conscience with every transaction, oftentimes, and I know you know what I mean, Joe, you're like, should I do this or should I not? Or my motive's pure? You know, should, if I do this, should I? You know, you, got, you wrestle through that. But at the end of the day, when I lay down at night and I've given it all I've got and I don't leave one ounce of water in the tile, I squeeze it all out because I want to go for it. But I lay down and I go, was I honest to everybody today? Did, did everything I do today give me a clear conscience with that activity? Taking care of myself physically. I'm 55 now, you know, and I still try to take care of myself. I was at the gym this morning and we got to take care of ourselves. I want to learn to be content without being complacent. And I don't want to ever get to the point where I say, okay, I got enough for me, so I'm going to sit back and forget everything else. Listen, man, I'm building business. I'm doing masterminds, the community, coaching guys. I want to go for it. But I want to learn to be content in my present situation. I want to enjoy this moment. I want to enjoy this phone conversation with Joe. I want to just relish in the fact that we're able to be here right now today, and I want to enjoy this, not thinking about what I'm going to do later. So those are just some of the things that I like to do that are successful to me. Mm-hmm. I want to dream big. I want to have goals, you know, and I want to really understand my faith better. And I want to realize that there's a higher power. I want to have meaning and purpose in my life. And at the end of the day, Joe, when they lower me six feet down, I want my kids to go, you know, my dad is leaving a legacy of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So for me, that will be successful. Now you got to look at significance. It's like, what does that even mean? And you got to ask yourself, How can I be significant all the while having success? For me, it was meeting the needs of others. It was simply learning to fully engage people. Joe, have you ever been in a restaurant with some new guy that you've never met and you're talking to him about something that may be serious and he's looking every time the door opens, every time the waitress walks up, he's glancing or he's looking at the other tables, you know, he's like not really interested and what you've got to say. He's not interested present. in everything else, right? Yeah. He's not present when he's present. Well, to be significant for other people, learn to sit and look at people in the eye. Don't be distracted by the things that are around you. Really pay attention. Stop waiting your turn to talk. I mean, really engage with these people. I think that's significant. For me, it's helping others when they can't repay you. And you go, uh-oh. Here's a big one. What's my motive? You know, it's like, is my motive to help Joe so he'll connect me with another great podcast host? Or is it, is that my motive? Or is it like, Joe, I really want to lift you up. I want to take on face edge and I want to help you take that to the next level. No motive. I want to help you because it's your goals. It's your dreams. It's your desires. And we do this by helping people that can't repay us. This uh, couple of weeks ago on Black Friday, I do this annually. I take my, I've I got four grandchildren now, and I've got another one that'll be here in February. So I'm going to say five. I take those and congratulations. We go, thank you. We cool. go on Black Friday. Instead of going out with all the insane, crazy people shopping, we go to like Waffle House. By insane, and, crazy people, you mean your wife and your, your daughter? You right? said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm just saying all the other insane, crazy people are shopping on Black Friday. I take my grandkids, and we do this. It's so fun, man. It's such an awesome day. We'll go to Waffle House. They love to go to Waffle House. And anonymously, we'll pick out tables 
and we'll tell the waitress, bring us their check. My grandkids are so excited. They're like, this is so cool. We're buying people's breakfast. They don't even know it. And then we leave there and we'll go to the nursing home. We bought 24 cases of cookies this year. We'll go there and we hand them out to all the people and sit around and play checkers with the senior adults. Or they colored pictures all day on Thanksgiving and they gave them to the senior adults and we just hang out with them and then go to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital and give toys out to the kids. And then we'll go to the waiting rooms and give out dozens of donuts to the people waiting for people having surgery. And then we got home this year. My little granddaughter walked up to me. She's seven years old and she hugs me. They call me Big A. Said, Big A, this has been the funnest day of my life. And I'm like, you know what? We didn't do anything for the kids. And we miss that opportunity as adults each and every day that we get an opportunity. See, we choose. They can only do it the days we take them. But Joe, you and I as adults, we can elect every day to help people that can't repay us. We just choose not to. Some people say, well, Aaron, if I had your money, I would do that too. And there's a little pushback from that because money magnifies what's already in the heart. It doesn't change it. And if you're not doing that now on some scale, you probably wouldn't do it if you had a lot of money. It's all a matter of the heart. And I'm just saying we'll have other opportunities to do it on a more grander scale with more money. But if you're not offering your time now or a word of encouragement or a smile or just visiting people at the nursing home, don't think you would do it if you had a lot of money. So just think through your own personal heart. And then I want to have the foresight to invest long term so that potentially I could impact generations to come. I don't want to think about Friday or, or at the end of the month. I want to think years down the road. What can I do today that would impact those people? Robin and I used to give a little scholarship to eighth graders to further their education at a school system where those kids would have never had an opportunity to further their education. And we tracked those kids for years. They called it the Aaron Walker Scholarship Award. And we tracked those kids after they graduated. Some of them went on to become officers in the military. Some went on into the medical profession. It gave them hope. And see, we can do that today for just a little bit of money or just a little bit of encouragement. You can change generations to come. But we have to do it intentionally. It doesn't happen by accident. So for me, Joe, That's what success means, and that's what significance means. You know, you brought something up just now when you said you have to do it intentionally, because even if you're not the type of person that goes and feeds widows and orphans, as the the Bible tells us, that true religion is, or you're not the type of person that is uh, willing to maybe not buy a whole meal, but uh, pick up a dessert for the -hmm. the kid at the restaurant. If you're not that type of person, even if you're not, you can decide right now I'm going to be that type of person and start in a small way. Would you agree Mm. with that, Aaron? Absolutely. It's fun. If you will make it a part of your budget, I mean, seriously say, I'm going to give away this much money this month intentionally. Now, you know, my friend Dan Miller just went to Chicago last week, took uh, Joanne up there for her birthday. He went to the bank and he got $300 in $10 bills. He said, Joanne, this is our budget to help the homeless because there's a lot of homeless in Chicago. And so they went around and they intentionally, it was like they were looking for people to give out $10 Mm -hmm. bills to. I was in uh, Starbucks the other day and I do this all the time, not to boast. I'm not telling you this to boast. I'm telling you this to encourage you, right? So it's not about telling you what I do for recognition. It's, it's encouragement. So I'm in Starbucks and it's early 
it's like seven o'clock and I'm going to meet a client there. Two persons ahead of me, there's this lady. She's asking a million questions. And I'm like, lady, I'm thinking this. I'm like, lady, this is Starbucks. Their menus never change. Just order something. <laughs> and so she goes on and on, this frappuccino, this, this ice, this, this. And she's asking all these questions. And I'm thinking, Lord, please, just let her order something. I got to have some coffee. Well, she goes away. Thank the Lord, finally. And this guy ahead of me is ordering his coffee. And I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, get whatever you want. It's on me. He goes, why? And I said, I want to bless you. And he goes, seriously? And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> no, that's not why. I said, I've got to do something kind right now because I wanted to kill that lady ahead of you. <laughs> and I've got to change my attitude. And he started laughing. And so I picked up his coffee. It turned into a fabulous opportunity for he and I to converse. He said, you know what? I'm going to start doing that. See, I elected to change my mindset. I could have let that lady irritate me for the next three hours, but I went, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow it. So a couple of weeks later, I was in the same Starbucks. Again, same thing. I do it nine out of 10 times when I go through to get coffee or if I go to buy a meal or if I go to the restaurant, I want to pick up somebody. I never tell them who I am. I just say, hey, I just want to bless you. I hope you're having a good day. So I do the same thing, but I do it to the guy behind me, not the guy ahead of me. So he goes, why did you do that? I said, I just want to bless you today. He goes, well, that's so cool. So I get my coffee and I'm on my way out the door and I hear that guy tell the cashier, hey, I got these three guys behind me. And I'm like, yes, no. That's, All right. the, that's the, right? It's like we elect, we choose. So quit living your life reactively and live your life proactively. You can change today. If that's not who you are, decide today. That's who I'm going to become. Your father's funeral taught you a, maybe the biggest lesson of your life about significance. Yeah, it did. My dad died in 06, 2006. We're recording this in 2015, right at the end of 2015. Right. So nine years ago, uh, he passed away. My dad was my best friend. Uh, he worked with me the last 10 years of his life in a company that I owned. Lived on the same street. We hunted or fished together every week of my life. I mean, from the time I was a baby, my whole life until he died. And so we were best friends. So, but my dad was a horrible businessman. I mean, he was Joe. My dad was terrible. He probably never made over $15,000 a year in his life. Hmm. But my dad always said, you just got to know what to want. And that had a real profound impact on me thinking through that. My dad loved life. And Joe, you would want to hug my dad if you saw him. In five minutes after meeting my dad, you'd want to hug him. It'd be like, man, I'm going to adopt you as my grandfather. But my dad loved people. And so 2006, we're standing at his, uh, at his coffin and we're greeting people coming in to pay their condolences. And I look up, the line starts forming at about 2.30 in the afternoon. Three o'clock is when visitation starts. 2.30, people start lining up. And I look and the line goes out the front door. And I'm like, well, there's just that many people here early. Joe, I stood there for six and a half hours. I never saw the other end of the line. Took an hour and a half to get through the line to pay their condolences. Not one person ever said, your dad had a nice boat. Your dad had a nice car. Your dad had a nice house. Not one person. Here's what people said. Your dad was always there for me. 
Your dad always gave the kids candy. Your dad was always telling a joke or teasing. Your dad was always there to help me move this furniture or take care of this. People from 10 years old to 75 years old stood his casket crying, saying your dad was a true friend. And I thought about that for a minute. And I thought, you know what's funny? We spend 95% of our time trying to get more possessions. We try to get the bigger, shinier, faster stuff when we really should be spending a third of our time investing in relationships and giving the kids candy and helping people move the furniture and edifying, empowering, encouraging, because that's all people remember. For six and a half hours, hundreds of people came through that line. Not one person said anything about what my dad owned. All they talked about was the relationship. Listen, it's the number one absolute key to success in your entire life is building relationships intentionally. And that's why we do now intentionally, we spend a third of our time doing that. I'm going to say a few names, Aaron, and you just give me the first thought that comes to your mind after you hear these names. I don't know that I like doing this, but go ahead. <laughs> you catch me off, off guard here. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm ready okay. for you. Joe. Ready? First thing that comes to your mind, Dave Ramsey. Okay. Uh, one of my best friends. David Landreth. David Landreth was my spiritual mentor and my pastor, and he was one of the most influential leaders in my life. Bob Warren. Bob Warren was, without a question, the most impeccable, finest men of character, men of God that I've had the privilege to know. And we lost him last August, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss him. But his character comes to my mind when I think of Bob Warren. Dan Miller. Dan Miller is my personal coach and mentor. He's the inspiration. He's the sole reason that I'm coaching men today. These men all had a significant impact on your life, obviously. I know. And you're going to make me cry here in a minute. You ask me these <laughs> questions. You need to warn me that you're going to ask me these kind of questions. That brings me to ask about your Iron Sharpens Iron masterminds. Why do men need masterminds? You know, you can call it whatever you want, mastermind, accountability, you know, whatever you want to title it. But we need people around us to encourage us. We need people to hold us accountable. We need to be empowered and motivated. We need to be edified and lifted up. And then we need to be called out. And then we need to be challenged. And you can only do that if you subject yourself to the scrutiny of many people on a continual basis that has the right to breathe into your life. And you can only do that if you intentionally meet with these people on a weekly basis to build the rapport. Listen, I'll tell you a quick little story in my mastermind group called the Eagles. We met in Dave Ramsey's office for 10 or 12 years, every Wednesday morning for an hour and a half. One of the guys called me one Saturday morning. He said, Aaron, so I was praying for you this morning. God gave me a word for you. And I said, well, this is going to be really good. His name's James Ryle. He was a promise keeper speaker, traveled all over the world speaking, and he was just a fabulous guy. And he said, uh, you ready? And I said, yeah, I'm ready. And it was at a dark time in my life. I couldn't decide on some things, and I was in a tough spot. And I said, well, hold on. Let me go out to the parking lot. So I went out in the parking lot. I was at Ace Hardware. It was on a Saturday morning. We never talked to each other on Saturdays because we respected each other's privacy with our families. And I thought, this is really going to be good. And I was, like, excited. I was walking outside. I said, this is going to be <laughs> powerful. I mean, like, James almost can walk on water. And I thought, this is going to be really, really good. 
So we've spent, you know, a decade together in these groups. And I said, okay, James, I'm outside now. I can hear you. What is it? And he said, uh, Aaron, the truth. I said, well, yeah. He goes, you're wearing the hell out of everybody in our group. Mm. And I'm like, what? I was all this excited. And he just slapped me. And I, I started laughing. He goes, no, I'm serious. And I said, well, James, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I'm sorry you feel that way. And he goes, Aaron, listen. He said, I was reading in the book of Isaiah this morning, and God said, take the chains from around your neck and move on. And he said, brother, it's time you were moving on. He said, I'll see you. I got to go. And hung up. Wow. I'm standing in Ace Harbor <laughs> with my cell phone in my hand, and I'm about to bite a nail into. I'm so mad. And then I think after I calmed down, you know what? He loved me enough to call me and say the hard things. Joe, here's what's so cool about that. It radically changed my life that day. I thought, you know what? He's right. People are sick of hearing me talk about this. I can't get over it. I can't move forward. And the Bible does say, take the chains from around your neck and move on. And I was able to do that. I could not do that if I didn't have people that I invested time with each week that knew me intimately. See, they're trusted advisors. They don't have anything to gain or lose as a direct result of telling you the truth. You can ask your mama or your daddy or your son or your business partner. Normally, they're biased. But these people are like not biased because they don't have anything to gain or lose. So they're going to tell you the truth. Well, that's why for 20 years, I've been in these groups now. I can't even tell you where I would be today if I didn't have those guys helping me navigate through life because they're, they, they're like guardrails. You know, they keep you in the center of the road. When you get over here, they bounce you back because they're honest, they're trustworthy, they're men of character, they're honest. They can tell you things that you need to hear. And so that's one. I could sit here for hours and give you examples, but that's one small example. The other thing is, is when you want to do a deal, you're afraid. And fear holds men back more than anything. And I just simply tell people, fear missing an opportunity more than you fear failure. And these guys allow you to see the opportunity that is before you and bypass the fear. Now, there's always an element that you have to deal with. But when you've got nine guys around you that are encouraging you, they're holding you accountable, and they're taking you to the next level, it mitigates some of that fear. And so there's just reason after reason after reason. The Bible says that as though one man sharpens another, just as iron sharpens iron. And that's why I titled it, the name of these groups, Iron Sharpens Iron. The sparks that fly, there's metal that rubs, there's friction, there's heat where iron sharpens iron. And it's the same way with other men. And we have called each other out, we have helped each other, and we have edified and lifted each other's arms when they get tired, and we've helped them. And the same time, we've told them to stop doing certain things and called them out on it. There's just so much value, Joe. I mean, we, we'll need another episode to Amen. talk about the value of masterminds. That's why I do it. Can we talk a little bit about your faith just for a couple minutes here, Aaron? Absolutely. Since becoming a Christian, have you ever doubted your faith or the existence of God? You know, I was saved when I was nine years old, and uh, I've talked about It's funny you even asking this question. T to answer your question, no. I have not doubted for one minute the existence of God, and I have not doubted my faith. I know I'm saved. I know that today, if uh, I were to die, I'd spend eternity in heaven. I have not questioned that whatsoever. What I have questioned is why bad things happen to good people. 
And I think sometimes, you know what, I work hard, I do the right things, you know, I give my money, I give my time, and then something still bad happens. You know, that's just the carnality of being human. Things God's not sitting up there with a ball bat saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to whack you. You know, I don't believe that at all. But just because of sin and its nature, uh, things happen to good people that are bad. And we've just uh, got to adopt the the mindset that Christ knows better. Romans 8, 28, we've got to know that these things are going to work out for our best and for his glory. And so those things I do question, though. Have you ever had a time when uh, when maybe compromising and be as transparent as you as you're comfortable with your have you ever had a time when when compromising maybe your principles of faith seemed like the right thing to do for the sake of profit expediency oh, or yeah, frankly for sure. an easy way to get out of a situation? Yeah, you know we were talking about that this morning with a one on one client and in the month of January 2016, my word for next year is authentic. And I want to break down the way I behave with myself, uh, with my wife, with my children. If I'm at church, I want to be authentic. Quick other story. So we're in Miami and uh, we're walking down the beach and there's this boardwalk where these stores uh, are at. Robin and I had just come off a cruise and we said, hey, I got a little extra time. Let's just stay. Uh, let's just stay in uh, Miami another week and we'll kind of relax and hang out. So she thought that was a great idea. Who wouldn't? So <laughs> we stayed there. We're walking down the boardwalk, and I'm holding Robin's hand. Now, bear in mind, we've been married, you know, a long time, be 36 years in June. And so this girl walks out of this store, and I tell everybody that uh, there's more cotton in an aspirin bottle than this girl had on. I mean, this girl's a 15 on a 1 to 10, and it makes me really nervous and uncomfortable. She's right in front of me, and I'm thinking, Lord, please let her go somewhere. Let her rapture and come home with you. Let her explode. <laughs> let her blow up. Let her go away. Something. Just This girl's very distracting. She's right in front of me and my wife, and it's like, you know, don't laugh, Joe. You know exactly what I'm talking hey, man. about. I know exactly what you're so talking about. It's really uncomfortable, quite honestly. So, it seemed like an eternity, but I guess it was a couple of minutes. This I didn't know where to look. So finally, this girl walks in and goes in this other store. So we're walking down through there, and uh, Robin goes, I have a question, and I start laughing. Every time I think I'm in trouble, I start laughing. I don't know why I just do. I said, I knew this was coming. <laughs> this is no surprise that you had a question. <laughs> and she said, no, really, I, I'm, I'm good. She said, I am. I really am good. It's not a problem, but I do have a question. I said, okay, Robin, give it to me. She goes, if I hadn't have been with you, would you have looked again? And I'm like, oh, no, man. Are you serious? Do you have to ask me that? I said, Robin, the truth is men are visual, okay? God made us that way. My flesh probably wanted to look again because that feels good. But my heart really wants to be for you and only you. She goes, huh, that's interesting. And that was all she said. And it was awkward for another hour, you know. So we get on over that. We go home. And she comes up to me a week later. And she said, I want to tell you something. And I said, okay, I'd forgotten about it. And she said, I want you to know every morning I make it a point to pray for your eyes. 
Well, Joe, that has given me more strength today than anything anybody could have ever told me. Because now when I get that temptation to look at something I shouldn't, some girl walking by, I think I got a wife at home on her knees praying for my eyes. Wow. So we need to get things in our life that hold us accountable. Back to your question. There's oftentimes that it seems right. There's oftentimes business deals come along that it's like, eh, if I don't say this or do say this, you know, I'll profit more. I promise you, if you'll do the right thing, the dividends that will be paid will be immeasurable. Not just financially, but just your conscience, just your peace of mind, just knowing you do the right thing. Not saying those temptations don't come. They even come now. You know, I'm a man. I'll go out and see something I shouldn't see. First thing comes to my mind, I got a wife at home praying for my eyes. We need that kind of accountability in all areas of our life. We need it financially. We need it in our career. We need it for our children, for our wives. We need people asking us pointed, direct questions to help keep us on track. As we wrap up, Aaron, what would you say to someone that is right on faith's edge, about to make that choice to believe or not to believe in God? Yeah, well, it's absolutely the best decision I think anyone could ever make uh, because you're trusting in a higher power. I would hate to think that I had to depend and count on myself because I'm not that strong. I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have uh, the energy to sustain myself. And I would just say when you place your confidence and faith in Christ and Christ alone, that he will direct your paths. And then the other thing is that we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And the uh, the um, the opposite of that is not not real promising. And so I would just say that you are much better off being able to count um, count your blessings in regards to placing your faith and confidence in Christ, uh, a supernatural power. You would be relying and depending on yourself. I don't think we can say anything more than that. Aaron Walker, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, if we want to know more about you and what you're all about, what we should, what should we do? Yeah, thanks, Joe. I appreciate that, man. It's been really fun to be on your show today. Uh, we went deep pretty quick, man. We yeah. got right off down in the weeds, and that was good. That was fun. I hope it's been beneficial for your listeners. I brought a little gift with me today. I hope it's okay. There's three documents that I use with uh, my coaching clients each and every day in the mastermind groups that I facilitate in the community that I lead. And one is called a personal assessment. And it's a tool where you take this word document and I wrote it several years ago and you dive deep into your ideals, your identity, your career, your relationships, your faith, um, the way you do things and process things. And it's just a questionnaire. It's just to kind of um, promote um, deep thought as we've done today. The second thing is a document I wrote called, What Do I Want? And it's living life intentionally, really deciding if I were to get up tomorrow, there were no geographic limitations or financial uh, limitations, what would I do with my life? It's a three-page document that helps you really work through that. And then steps to a productive day where you start out early, work through the entire day methodically, and it helps you to live a successful and significant life. I've taken the price off of all those, and I'm going to give them to your audience. Wow. So if you'll go to viewfromthetop.com forward slash faith, all in lowercase letters, you can download those three documents for free. Hopefully, it'll help you uh, accomplish 
the goals and dreams and desires that you have for your life. So that's how you can get me, viewfromthetop.com. How generous. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll put that link in today's show notes. Uh, But boy, this was a real blessing, my friend. Yeah, thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Have a great 2016 as we start this journey. And if you can uh, ever see your way clear to reach out to me, I facilitate these Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind groups, the community, and one-on-one coaching. I'd love to help anyone that needs it. So have a good 2016, buddy. God bless you, brother. Aaron's website is viewfromthetop.com. His Facebook and Twitter links, as well as the link to his very generous free gifts for us, can be found in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 57. That's onfaithsedge.com slash five, seven. Well, I, I tell you what, I was just blown away by this conversation. His, uh, his story about how his dad's funeral, uh, people standing in line for six hours just to pay respect to his father and how that taught him his biggest lesson in living a significant life just absolutely blew me away. The whole interview was just a very, very important interview to me and, uh, I tell you, one of my most impactful conversations I think I've had uh, since starting the show. I hope you got a lot out of it. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to Mr. Aaron Walker for being with us today. And thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me and you mean a lot to the show. Remember, God is real. He loves you. And so do I. Happy New Year and God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you.